0: On this episode of the rich ad poor ad podcast we have the one and only ceo from ad quadrant warren jolly who's responsible for spending shoot 80 million plus in 2020 for their clientele now on this one we dive into some super different you know rich ads and poor ads in the snapchat game we dive into you know how to create compelling creative call to action specific offers so if you're doing snap you definitely kind of want to jump on this because it's super relevant and it's not like any other platform and understanding attribution is a tricky one. If you need some tips, make sure to tune in. We also kind of deal on how Warren looks at a 70-20-10 on his investments to more or less, kind of continues to bring money in and acquire new deals to expand his portfolio and kind of keep the business booming and innovated. So make sure to tune in, this one's super awesome. He's a legend in the game, so make sure to tune in.
1: Um, This brand was able to do a tremendous amount of revenue because of A, the price point, be the demographic that they really appeal to, which is that younger women cohort, and see the investments that they've made into uh, post-click or landing page and site experiences to be really fast and really focused on um, fewer steps in the funnel to actually drive the purchase. And that's really, really important on Snap.
2: listening to the rich ad poor ad podcast where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash these advertisers agencies affiliates brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend you'll hear about what's working for them today their rich ads and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads let's get into it Welcome to another episode of the Rich Ed Poor Ed podcast. This is your host Zach Johnson. I'm with Mr. Dylan Carpenter. Dylan are you excited to talk paid media?
0: Yeah man especially Snap. Yeah we haven't had many Snapchat you know individuals on so this should be a super good one.
2: Yes yes well today is a legend in the world of, of paid media. Originally got his start in in the affiliate marketing world, and now runs an agency for almost the last seven years called Ad Quadrant out of LA. These guys are going to manage upwards of $80 million in media spend this year. And I know that today's guest is an absolute expert when it comes to attribution and tracking. And uh, we're going to dive into some of the trends on how to stay on top of that over, over this next year. So, Dylan, you ready to uh, ready to get into it? Yeah, man,
0: the hype is real. <laughs>
2: the hype is real. Yeah. So today's guests work with some pretty pretty big brands as well in their agency over at, at Quadrant. Obviously, uh, most of you listeners probably know uh, the brand Snow. We've had Josh on the podcast. Uh, they've also worked with General Assembly, Fashion Nova, mm-hmm. Untuck It, and uh, Budget Blinds, and some other pretty big spenders. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have on the show, Warren Jolly. Thanks for being
1: here, man. Back and Dylan. Thanks for having me.
2: Yes, sir. So tell everybody a little bit about what you're up to these days and, uh, and, and what you're rocking over at uh, Ad Quadrant going into Q4. Yeah,
1: we're trying to solve and crack the code on attribution for the entire world. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, that 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 would be nice. Uh, we're we're really you know a paid media house that focuses on growth and strategy, and strategy being the underscore of everything that we do. You know, our belief is that performance marketing and paid media is just heavily commoditized. You know, Facebook, Google, etc., is making it super easy for marketers to place ads, but they don't help you solve through the deep challenges in terms of really understanding the effectiveness of that what that platform is 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 doing holistically to your brand. How to think about Creative on a per platform basis and really be be great at, at kind of solving that storytelling challenge for users that are viewing your brand for the first time or potentially the tenth time. And so we spent a lot of our time thinking about how to tie all these pieces together for brands that are looking to achieve kind of hyper growth. Uh, and 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 for us, that's you know three to ten x growth over the next two to three years. And brands that are able to achieve that are really at the cutting edge of not just testing but thinking about these challenges in a more meaningful, deep way. So that's kind of where we come in. And for me personally, I'm also an investor. So I partner with early stage companies uh, directly and through a fund to help them um, not only get access to capital, but again, kind of make sure that capital is being deployed in the most effective manner to drive that, that type of growth trajectory that I highlighted earlier.
2: That's awesome. So, is this the uh, Unlock Venture Partners? I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Tell us. About yeah, that,
1: that, that's one of them. So, Unlock is, um, uh, you know, the investing thesis is really focused only on companies that are based in Seattle and LA, and that really has to do with just you know where where we see the opportunities. Uh, obviously, every investor, every venture capital firm is focused on Silicon Valley, and it's very you know uber competitive there. But there's great companies coming out of LA and Seattle that, um, you know, the Kleiner Perkins of the world and and the Bessemer Ventures don't really focus on. So um, that combined with where everybody is focused from a partner perspective geographically gives us access to some really interesting um, businesses. And so we have invested in companies like Dolly, which is sort of the on-demand resource for moving. Uh, We've invested in a company called Fight Camp, which is the Peloton for boxing. So there's really a host of interesting uh, direct-to-consumer businesses and brands that we've been able to. You know, very fortunate enough to partner with via um, Unlock.
2: Yeah, it looks like you invested in Bolt. That's that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, Bolt is uh, Bolt's an you know amazing business, really bringing kind of that Shopify payments uh, ubiquity to all all e-commerce retailers. So making the process of checking out as a consumer really frictionless, irrespective of what um CRM or shopping cart solution they're using. So it's it's you know we've seen really incredible results with retailers like American Eagle and a host of others that have uh, implemented Bolt both and seen conversion rates go up drastically.
2: So you're one of the the only agency owners I know that is even remotely participating in some type of a of a venture, right? I think like Hawk, we had Hawk Media on here, but like their venture arm is like a million dollars. It's like a million, two million dollars. It's like tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, um, venture arm what made you one want to get into that space um most people lose money (laughs) in that world and uh yeah like how how did that all happen for you
1: yeah so so candidly you know we started ad quadrant by accident we're not i'm not an agency pedigree guy nor is my co-founder like that's not what we thrive off of but we 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 solved it We, we, we started the company to solve the challenges right that existed back in 2015 as it related to you know Figuring out these new channels, getting Facebook to work at scale, et cetera. But as we did that, we, we started to encounter a lot of brands that had great products, um, you know, seasoned leadership, really passionate entrepreneurs, needed help with marketing, but also had that void on the financing side. So for, mm-hmm. for, for me and for us as investors, we have we had this opportunity to not only um, you know, kind of deploy capital into what could be a great business, but also be a creative about it. And that's the key, right? If you're able to put money and control the outcome or influence the outcome of that business, that's far more powerful than just being a check writer. So mm-hmm. if we're writing a check into the business and we're making sure their marketing is executed effectively, uh, backed by a really strong team and a good core quality product that's solving a real problem for, for users, that that yeah. combination is what we identified as the real opportunity. I don't think it's that aggressive without, without the piece around the creativeness. Yeah, right,
2: yeah, yeah. Now, is it just equity or do you do debt investments as well only equity only equity awesome yeah i love it well cool so let's get into it dylan take it take us through this uh this rich ad poor ad segment
0: yeah Warren, well, right, man so thank you so much for the slides you made it so much easier but as mentioned y'all this is our kind of first rich ad snap section more or less So, Warren, can you kind of give us a 30,000-foot overview of kind of, you know, how this rich ad impacted, how it performed so well, and kind of what made it work so good?
1: Yeah. So, before I do that, I think it's probably best to talk about kind of the two main, main ad units on Snap. You've got story ads and Snap ads. Story ads are in the Discover tile. When you open up Snap and you're looking at, like, celebrities and influencers, you'll see a bunch of different tiles in the bottom. And then Snap ads are just the interstitials that sit between friends' stories that they post on the platform so what we're looking at here is a story ad right effectively there's and by the way if you guys want you can um you can uh, dylan if you'd like as well you can uh, scan that qr code whenever and you can see the ad itself it's really a prime example of the effectiveness of ugc right if you look at the top ad that's raw it's relatable right it it, it lives in the discovery feed it's got a thumbnail but you can see that that when a user scrolls over that they're seeing a they're seeing a girl with acne on her face, right, on the top tile, and they're seeing an after on the bottom. And the nice part about Snap is, a lot of people don't know this, they're a lot friendlier with before and afters than Facebook and other platforms. So you can be really raw with your users if you have a brand that's in the weight loss category or fitness or skincare here in this instance and make that, kind of create that raw, relatable experience using your creative. The ad that lost was very sort of polished, right? You've got um you know, you, it looks really clean, it looks pleasant, but it's it's just too professional, right? Even showing the product shots of the actual, uh, uh, the, clay, the clay mask in this instance, it just did not perform nearly as well of, uh, as it did having kind of that raw visceral image. Also, copy on Snap, right? You don't have the same canvas that you have on Facebook. So you've got one headline, it's called a discovery headline. And so hitting on the value prop and coming across super confident is really, really key. And so, in the in the ad that one, it says "clear skin" with this hundred percent money back guarantee. That's a heck of a lot better than the ad that lost that said, "ladies, this will make you fall in love with your skin." Mm. Right? Both are you could argue are compelling, but when you're clear, you're upfront, you're direct about what the customer is getting when they respond um, on Snap. It just tends to work re- uh, tremendously better. One thing that's really important though to remember about Snap for all marketers snap is still the most ephemeral platform right so when you talk about add and user intention user attention and how to engage and keep that user's attention on snap you really really have to be effective and as upfront front about capturing that attention because users are just swiping at a, at a rate that's unprecedented compared to any other platform
0: man how long did this rich hat take you to make it's so simple and sleek it's got to be three four seconds i I know you kind of test a ton of creatives, but any idea how long this kind of could have taken just to kind of show some perspective of how easy it is to kind of make an ad pretty much?
1: Five minutes, right? We're, just, we're talking about that specific ad because again, I mean, you, you know, a lot of brands and, you know, media buyers are listening to this podcast potentially always have this conundrum of, well, I don't have a bunch of creative resources, right? Really what you need to study and understand is the ad units and creative specs on a per platform basis. And then just make sure you're repurposing it based on those specs but also what policy at the platform will allow you to do or not do in this instance we knew that snap has a different approach towards before and afters than let's say facebook does
0: oh that makes total sense and it's wild from a media buyer's perspective that poor ad i mean it looks pretty slick to where you would probably think that would outperform the rich ad so it's pretty interesting kind of how it all pans out there and how relevant you know the creative has to be for that specific platform
1: for sure i think one thing though that's consistent across the board on you know, on any platform, and you're seeing this even on YouTube, which I think we've never seen in the past as much as we do today, is just the advent of UGC. like users, you know, everyone talks about banner blindness in the old days. Like I, th- I think there's there's social ad blindness, right? in a lot of respects. And people can start to delineate between you know what's not in the news feed very clearly versus what looks organic. Um and now the approach towards UGC is just go rawer than you've ever been in the past, right? That's really what we tell. Brands that we partner with and it tends to it tends to really work.
0: Oh yeah. And the I mean the metrics speak to it itself. I mean, y'all spent 13K on that rich ad with a 2.5 X basically. So I mean, that's pretty killer versus, you know, that poor ads, you know, y'all spend a good, you know, 650 with a point five basically. How do you when did you kind of determine that losing ad is just not working? Pretty immediately to kind of tone the budget down how do y'all kind of go about testing the creative and then realizing this isn't working? How much more time should we give it? How much more, you know, budget should we allocate to it? What's y'all's kind of thought process around that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're very, this is one ad and one geo just in the UK, right? So we, we tested over 20 geo's with this brand and we, we just, you know, we follow the principle of, of, of leading metrics versus lagging metrics. Right. So when we, when we're looking at leading metrics, we're not waiting for CPA and ROAS, we're starting to identify a creative that we believe is resonating uh, with users on the platform based on that initial story open rate, which is, you know, you click on that thumbnail, and then the next metric is in-story swipe-up rate, which is once you're in the story, right, are, are you swiping up and going to the actual brand's landing page? So we're using that as a proxy to start to determine, okay, if we're running 20 concurrent tests, you know, which ones actually have the viability and will sustain, and we'll, we'll just go ahead and fund that one, um, you know, into kind of full maturity, if that makes sense. Oh, most definitely.
2: This episode is brought to you by Funnel Dash's AdCard, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an ad agency that manages seven or even eight figures a year in media and ad spend for your clients, and you're looking to double your profits over the next six to 12 months, then check out AdCard. See, the typical agency model is this. You charge 10% of your spend, you make 10 to 20% margin at the end of the day. So that's really one to 2% of your client's spend that is profit in your business. The easiest way to double that is to really find a way to earn in that one to 2% cash back of the card that is on file of your client's ad account. And before ad card, what you had to do was invoice all your clients for their ad spend up front, which is really difficult on a cash flow basis and very difficult ask. And then you had to put the card on your own Amex or whatever card of choice to get that level of value back into your business. With AdCard, it's entirely different in streamlined. You simply get your clients on AdCard and make yourself the agency of record and you'll get the cash back as long as you're managing the ad spend. It's a great way to double your profit without doing any additional work. Check it out
0: at FunnelDash.com. Now I got a juicy question for you. I love the CPMs on you know, Snapchat. If somebody was looking to kind of test it out for their brand or business, what do you think a good budget to kind of test is really with you know how low those CPMs really are?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. You're going to get a different answer from everybody who buys on Snap. Um, one thing about Snap that you need to know about though is they have something called goal-based bidding that you have to unlock, which is mm-hmm. unlike Facebook, right? You, I can start a Facebook campaign today and optimize towards a conversion pixel. Yep. Uh, it's purchases on snap that takes a little while to get to and it takes a certain number of conversions which is generally you know in in, in the few hundred range it's not the 50 you know per ad set that you might think uh, or you've heard on facebook but what i like to say is you know if you talk to snap about this they're going to say you know test our platform with with 30 to 50k in the first month (laughs) you know you, you should know and part of that by the way i believe is you know they're trying to increase their earnings which kudos to them but I think as a smart buyer, you should know within 5 to 10K, if Snap is A, a viable platform for your business, and B, your strategy around creative and user experience is actually viable for Snap's user base. And both are equally as important, right? Because if mm-hmm. you're trying to sell a, you know, a $1,500 uh, television on Snap, you're just not going to be you know as successful as you would be in this instance where... Um, This brand was able to do a tremendous amount of revenue because of A, the price point, B, the demographic that they really appeal to, which is that younger women cohort, and C, the investments that they've made into uh, post-click or landing page and site experiences to be really fast and really focused on um, fewer steps in the funnel to actually drive the purchase. And that's really, really important on Snap. As I mentioned earlier, users have that highly ephemeral mindset. So you can't take them through... A bunch of hoops to get them to actually purchase if you're an e-commerce brand as an example
0: oh most definitely now with these metrics i think you know you were talking attribution earlier so i think it'd be good to kind of share with the audience how do you all kind of really gauge you know what's working are you looking at snapchat google analytics how do you kind of go about true reporting on the snapchat side of things
1: yeah so we you know snap is one platform where attribution i think is really the hardest what happens is if someone um even just swipes up but they don't load your website Snap's going to count that as a click yep. and you're never going to see that in GA so we we absolutely look at what the platform says but we take it with a with a heavy heavy grain of salt we look at GA um but also just looking at GA in the instance of Snap is really really challenging because a lot of users on Snap don't end up converting on uh, on Snap as a first touch but Snap is the point of discovery for the brand so we'll see those conversions happen on either a different device or a different browser. And so trying to map that story back to GA is also, uh, also, frankly, really a challenge. We look at different attribution windows on Snap to understand, OK, what is the right credit view to give on a platform? But what we really do that's been successful in terms of attribution is doing Snap in a holdout study fashion, where we're only running, let's just say it's a brand that targets the entire US. We'll just take potentially three states or one state, depending on the size of their influence in that state, and only run Snap ads in that one particular geo, we'll customize the creative to speak to that geo, really make it an effective strategy, and then we'll we'll baseline that geo's results um, against what we've done with Snap on in that holdout capacity, right? So anytime we're launching a new channel now, we do this. We've done it with Connected TV, we've done it with TikTok, and it helps us understand that what is the actual incremental lift that the business has seen compared to what the platform reports and that helps us get to like a multiplier that we apply on any of those ongoing future spends to be able to deduce what the real impact was from that channel.
0: Oof, man, you're leading me to my final question here. Heck yeah. So, oh, man, I just got sidetracked. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm loving this, man. Um, all right, it'll come up to me at some point. Or you just got you just got all and hot and bothered here. You're just oh, like God. oh, that's Oh no, I totally got it. So yeah, whenever you kind of launch Snap, you mentioned you kind of look at the growth across you know the whole business as a whole. Now, whenever you see, you know, I'm sure you're driving a ton of traffic with Snapchat. Do you ever see you know correlations to where you have to ramp up the retargeting on Google or Snap or even Facebook just because you're driving so much traffic with Snapchat and it's be kind of pretty cost effective there.
1: Yeah, I mean, CPM arbitrage, you talked about it earlier, right? So when we think about like the snaps and the Pinterests and the TikToks of the world, CPMs are a fraction of what they are on Facebook and Google. So absolutely, like we're not, you know, our expectation on these platforms that are more discovery oriented, if you will, is that, you know, we're going to see unprofitable results on platform from a pure, we just purely look at on platform prospecting and retargeting. And we've done that deduction exercise that I talked about earlier, right? And so we understand that. And what we what we really try to do in every campaign is tag ETMs properly so we can retarget the traffic that actually does reach the site and understand on a look back window, what is our true aggregate return from Snap as the first touch, right? As well as Snap as the, or sorry, first touch, no conversion. And then, you know, in isolation, what the platform is able to do for that audience that we're prospecting retargeting on there. And that combination is how you really understand what is it Snap doing for my business at an aggregate level, right? And how do I try to tell that story that's true or as close to the truth as I possibly can?
0: Ooh, man, this is a good one, y'all. <laughs> All right. So we dove into some rich ads pretty hardcore. We dabbled a little bit in the poor ad side, but let's go ahead and focus a little bit more on that poor ad side. So, I mean, when it comes to the poor ads here, what are some of the common characteristics you're typically seeing?
1: You know, I think, again, when you, when you really break down Snap and you have this, like, limited canvas as well as time frame to capture the user's attention, um, anything that seems too polished, anything that seems um, like you've repurposed an ad from Facebook or from YouTube onto Snap tends to not really work. I mean, if you yourself as a user go through the discovery feed on Snap and you look at you know, whatever influencers or celebrities or brands that are marketing there, you'll see right there and then that there's the the images and the creative is really thought provoking or it's kind of gives you that, you know, what the heck is this type of reaction? And so like addressing creative in that capacity, which in this poor ad was not done. It was more of like a professional photo shoot or professional influencer shoot, I think is really number one, creating that relatability, which is lacking also, because, you know, frankly speaking, a girl who has acne doesn't look like this girl that's in the poor ad, right? <laughs> it's a lot more like the girl in the rich ad. So, you know, people on Snap, especially the younger demographic, are a lot wiser to creative and advertising than the older demographic is. So, you know, making sure that if you're targeting 25 to 35 year old women, that your ads look and speak and feel like them is absolutely paramount. So I would say start with the relatability in mind. Make sure your imagery is really raw. It's visceral. It's UGC in nature. Um, and you know, again, you can see in this poor ad that both from, a, from an from imagery perspective as well as kind of the the headline, it just really didn't hit the nail on the head to keep users engaged long enough and ultimately manufacture that intent necessary to drive them to purchase.
0: Man, and you would really think, that, you know, that thirty percent off, that sense of urgency would kind of do some wonders. But it goes to show, hey, you got to test it, really gauge what works. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think also you know one other thing I left out is just have a compelling CTA, right? You're trying to get this high ADD audience to convert. Make sure you drive them towards the action that you're that you're you're actually pr- proposing. Man, that's that's that, that
0: that should be a course right there. I'm pumped. <laughs> well, y'all know what time it is, Zach. It's your favorite time of the whole show. Go ahead and take it away. All right, so let's dive into
2: some financial principles, Warren. I I think that. Uh... We've talked through a couple of different things before the show, but the way that you think about, you know, managing, um, you know, investing in the new initiatives uh, in your different businesses is very similar to, to how a media buyer might actually uh, run an ad account. So I'd love it if you could share uh, how you look at that and how you manage that and also just how you came up with that, yeah. that principle.
1: So The core of the principle is really, you know, obviously I admire and I think all of us can respect what Jeff Bezos has built with Amazon and and the fact that he still thinks about Amazon as being, you know, in in that day zero environment, like our first day in business is is really helped drive so much of their innovation and change. And when you're trying to bootstrap a business, which I've always done historically, I really haven't raised outside venture capital for companies I've I've started until very recently. um, You've got to really be capital efficient and you have to be almost kind of ruthless about, about you know saying no to ideas that just are failures, right? So you generally start a business and you've got you know an, an initial way to generate revenue. You sign up every customer under the sun. If you're a services business, you just say yes to everybody. That becomes kind of your 70% of what keeps you in business or allows you to sustain. Then you have this 20% window, which is really about how do I grow out above and beyond myself, right? And, and that 20% is creating a moat and defensibility around your business ultimately. That's really, really important because if you don't have a moat around your business, really don't have something that's defensible and if any competitor comes in with more capital or a slightly better team, they're gonna crush you. So that 20% is about creating the moat and investing in areas that are gonna be defensible. And then you have to have this 10% um, that's about hyper growth ideas, really wild hairy experiments that you constantly in a disciplined capacity fund both with time and money and that once those 10% bear fruit, it goes into that kind of 20% vote and defensibility bucket. And, and once they've matured into, hey, this is actually viable, I have more than five customers or whatever it is that'll pay for this, it goes into your core 70%. And that's how you bootstrap, in my opinion, or a core principle behind bootstrapping a business from you know zero to eight figures or nine figures in revenue by always maintaining that discipline and not, not getting complacent because you know, your 70% is going well, right? And you don't need to worry about competition or you don't need to worry about innovation. And so really the idea is it's a 70-20-10 rule and it helps you, you know, kind of out-innovate, out-compete as it relates to what else is happening in the ecosystem. And guess what? If you're in a category or industry that doesn't have um, innovation pressures or competition, then it's not really business worth being in in the first place. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how how I think about growing companies and how to think about, Kind of investing and creating that discipline,
2: okay, so let's just say I produce a million dollars a year in profit and you're saying in terms of are we talking about profit here? are we talking about like okay we're gonna take twenty percent of that investment initiative, ten percent of that's gonna go into um, you know crazy experiments or are you more just like baking this into how you operate you know the businesses? you know, fr- from a top line? Cause I, I just want to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great question. Um, it, it really is. I mean, there's, you know, businesses tend to start one of two ways, right? You, you're either out, you're raising money and and you have investors, you know, that that are writing your check to fund an idea or you've bootstrapped a company to a certain size. So first example, it would just be off the balance sheet of what money you've invested. And that would be kind of your, 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 your core, um, approach from, from absolute day one. On the second, it's really about taking profit and headcount. That you can reallocate, you know, out of that you you take that 100 percent that's initially gotten you in business and start to shrink it down to 70 and think about your allocations in that 20 and 10. So if I were to start a business today and I raised money from investors, let's just say I raised five million dollars, I would I would have an initial idea, an initial um, value proposition, which is why I got funded in the first place. But guaranteed, whether I like it or not or anyone believes it or not, I'm gonna be pivoting as I learn more about that idea and actually validate the real hypothesis so that all of a sudden, same thing, that hundred percent that I thought I would be doing with that 5 million bucks is going to pivot. And as I pivot, I'm pivoting into what I learned from that 20 and 10 portion of the, of the pro rod exercise, right? Same thing. If I've, if I bootstrapped a company, I'm going to want to figure out ways to grow faster than I've been able to grow historically. So I start to think about that allocation and where should I be? How do I create my initial moat and defensibility? And then, follow on how do i start to think about you know those wild experiments that are going to potentially deliver hyper growth and what have been those
2: for you and in, in the you know agency business like what what has been some of those 10 those 10 uh you know investments and in tests that that have now kind of got rolled into the core 70 percent? yeah
1: that's a great question so, so um one of those has been you know building out Building out a full creative studio, right? Uh, when we started, again, I don't come from an agency or creative or brand background. That's not that's not my DNA. Uh, but but taking that bet early and saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna take the lead on creative now. Brands that we partner with, not expect them to take the lead and provide us with um, you, you know useful assets. That was one example. Um, our venture into TikTok early on, um, you know, uh, last year was an example of that ten percent where. Um, you know, there wasn't really a pixel, uh, direct response wasn't really kind of a talked about thing. There wasn't an auction, but just saying, you know what, we're going to figure this out because we believe that this platform is here to stay and that there's a really interesting opportunity for brands to diversify there in a a unique way um, was a bet that paid off massively for us. So, you, you know, being really aggressive about testing new channels and testing new services internally um, has helped us you know innovate and grow and remain remain very profitable, but be able to create value in the ecosystem. and that's really how you're able to do that, right by by thinking differently and challenging that status quo as as fast and as tremendously as you can.
2: Dude, that is awesome. I love it. I love it. So let's talk about you know what you do as an agency owner, you know from kind of switching from operator to investor have for a minute. You, how, how, how do you look at um, getting the most amount of leverage out of your investing activities?
1: Yeah. Um, so for us, it's really interesting, right? I mean, the, the, the no brainer that we realized is we come across a lot of brands where there's great products, great operators, you know, tenured entrepreneurs. They need help with marketing. But when we really start to unpack the business, what we realize is they've overfunded in certain areas and they're 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 un, they're, they're sort of over-leveraged, right? As a business and as an operator. And so mar- great marketing alone doesn't solve that problem. But being able to become a partner of theirs, you know, finance, help finance the business as well as be a vendor allows us to do a couple of things, right? A, we get to take equity in the business. Um, B, we get to, you know, charge for services, and C, we get to make sure that the equity that we're taking in the business. By investing cash is accretive, and we get to sort of mitigate downside and influence upside because writing a check, but we're also helping the business shore up its growth efforts, right? Maybe they're thinking about going into retail or wholesale where they should be 100% D2C, or they have 100% D2C presence, but their marketing and creative and kind of tech stack is really ineffective. And those are relatively easy things for us to fix that could be. Um, you know, frankly, real force multipliers for the business from both a top line revenue perspective as well as profitability. so we look we look for businesses where we can be hi- highly accretive. and I also don't believe that anyone should invest uh, or write a check into a business that they fundamentally just really don't understand because if you don't understand it, you can't be accretive. and oftentimes if you don't understand it, at some point in that journey, with you as an investor, you know, something or someone is going to pull the wool over your eyes, and by the time you figure it out, it might be too late. And I can speak from firsthand experience um, in saying that. So I've really learned to kind of identify ideas that, that 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 I get that I believe in that I can be be along for the ride on a bit more than just a silent observer.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I love it, man. I love it. Well, this has been uh, awesome. I've actually really enjoyed this episode. What do you think, Dylan?
0: Yeah, man. (laughs) I want to go test some new Snap stuff after this. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Oh, I love it, man. Well, Warren, this has been an amazing uh, podcast. Really appreciate you sharing about so many different aspects of what you're up to and really appreciate some of the disciplines that you put in place and how you're managing uh, the business. Tell everybody a little bit about, you know, what what else you've got going on and how we can support you?
1: Yeah, um, I'll be at Adworld uh, and I think, what is it, next week now? So talking a little bit more about um, advanced attribution and how you can think about solving some of the challenges if you're a marketer or a brand that's spending money on Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat and really trying to develop an underlying approach towards managing all of this. I'll be chatting a bit about that at Adworld, so come check out my session Um, If you want to learn more about what we do at adquadrant, just go to adquadrant.com. We've got a bunch of case studies and more information about kind of who we work with and who we service. But other than that, I'm happy to add value, answer any questions. Um, Best way to to reach me is uh, on Twitter. just at Warren Jolly. Feel free to send me a DM and uh, I'll, I'll get right back to you.
2: Amazing. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you back on the show soon.
1: Cool. Thanks guys.
2: So much for listening to another episode of the rich ad poor ed podcast if you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go go ahead and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify youtube and richadpored.com slash podcast and if you absolutely love the show go ahead and leave a review and a comment share with a friend if you do take a copy screenshot of it email me zach at funnel dash.com show me you left a review and i'll give you a free copy of the rich ad poor ad book to learn more about the book go to richadpored.com To leave a review, go to richadpoored.com slash review. Thanks again.